bla 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 Well, hello there, FC Dallas curious soccer fan. Welcome to the most current episode of Third Degree, the podcast. I think, if my mathematics are correct, this is episode 12. Hi, I'm Peter, and joining me today is none other than our driving force of awesome soccer journalism. Uh, It is Buzz Carrick, editor and founder of Third Degree and from the Dallas Morning News. Hello, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Today I'm calling in from Spain at the US U20 camp where I'm surprised to not find any FC Dallas players. <laughs> I have a question about that later <laughs> on for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've got an answer. Uh, now, it is just you and me uh, on a twosome today because uh, did I read correctly that somehow Dan Crook has uh, finagled a back injury into bailing out on recording the podcast? Yeah, I think he may be a little under the influence if I read his text correctly and was <laughs> not feeling so hot. So uh, he's okay. not here today, but we'll try and fill the gaps okay. and maybe talk about English soccer for yeah, two seconds. I'm calling foul here because he would be way more entertaining if he's high on some sort of uh, <laughs> you know, muscle relaxer. He might be even harder to understand, though. Oh, that's a good point. We'd have to put closed captions or something on the podcast. Absolutely. Okay. uh, Oh, my gosh. This is a very sad episode of Third Degree, the podcast, because it marks the first episode that comes after a Luchi Gonzalez loss. Dallas 0, Columbus 2. Um, it was a bit of a different look on the road against a considerably more organized and higher quality opponent this time. Well, Columbus is certainly a pretty good team, and they like to play possession just like Dallas does, and they did a really nice job uh, compacting the midfield too, which is obviously the, the way people are going to play Dallas at least early on since we've seen every team do that so far this season. And it resulted in the most ridiculously boring yeah. soccer match so far of 2019. Yeah, it was like watching a chess game. It was super slow and plodding, and they, both teams sort of passed the ball around trying to find a gap or wait for a mistake. But, you know, when, when you play this way and the other team plays the same way, this is what you're going to get. So. Yeah, I, I literally, you know, because uh, we were doing the radio show, so once again, I haven't been able, you know, I had to watch the game later, uh, and I fell asleep during the first half. Well, that's a bad sign, but maybe you were up late. Uh, I think, yeah, it was, yeah, I don't remember when I watched it. But anyway, um, you know, I think the the most noticeable thing uh, I've had conversations with afterwards is the now clear struggle that uh, Lucci is having in getting his team to create things offensively. And boy, the stats really prove that out, don't they? They do. Uh, you, know, you know, for a team to go on the road and have basically 55% possession and to have 86% accuracy, and you have some nice stats about where they all rank in terms of both possession and shots created, uh, you know, only only to get eight shots out of 60%, sorry, 55% possession is not very good. And that, that obviously is a real problem. Lucci knows it's a real problem. He's talked to me and the other media about it being a problem. He did articulate that he really liked the last 10 minutes or so when Dallas was pressing after he made some changes and got some balls into the box. But even in those cases, he talked a little bit about the difference between crossing and crossing with purpose. Like, don't just cross it. It's got to get to somebody. And that's true of the possession, too. Just holding the ball forever doesn't do any good. Possession with purpose matters. Being able to have variety and change pace 
matters, and they worked on that kind of thing a lot in practice this week. Yeah, uh, the stats that we uh, tweeted out uh, on Sunday or Monday uh, really bear out a lot of this. I mean, the team is first in in, in total passes in the league. They're second in possession. Um, but then you start to really get into the things that tell you what that means in terms of quality. They're 16th in key passes. Um, they are second in unsuccessful dribbles. Uh, but the really, and then of course, uh, shots, uh, uh, shots, they are 21st with 9.7 a game. And then they're 22nd with only three per game in shots on goal, which, uh, isn't exactly the best. And then the stat that really, I think tells the biggest story about what you're seeing in these first three games, while they are, uh, they are 22nd with possession in the opponent's own third of the field, but they are first in possession with the ball in their own third of the field. And and I think that's clearly what you see with this team kind of passing backwards and laterally repeatedly over and over and over without ever really getting into the other end of the uh, the attacking third of the field. Yeah, your defenders are having a high number of touches and your offensive players are having a low number of touches. If I remember correctly, Bocce, I think, had 26 touches last game, which got back into the idea I talked about a bunch that – you know, his lack of production isn't just on him. You know, it's he needs to make some better runs, but a lot of it is the team has to work the ball forward and get the ball to him. And I think they all they know this as a staff and they talked about this stuff. And one of the things they worked on this week was some variety of build, including like a more aggressive vertical sort of build and getting getting forward and getting behind the defense and, and getting into the box and getting in crosses that matter. So it's a work in progress. It is only three games into the season with a new coach and a new system. So there's no reason to panic. You can build from this going forward. Possession is good. we got places to go with it. So it's early, but it's going to be fine. Uh, and and certainly, the if we're going to highlight uh, something to feel really good about, is another really high-quality showing uh, from Paxton Pomacall, who, you know, uh, somebody on Monday or Tuesday uh, tweeted out a video compilation of all of his touches in the game and his action, and, and it was really a treat to watch just simply because there was a little bit of something across the entire field from Pax that was really enjoyable. Whether it was him grabbing the ball and going at defenders or taking the ball off somebody's foot in his own penalty area um, and everything in between, there is just so much to really like about the homegrowns game. Yeah, we've talked about uh, many times with this team, in particular the last three or four years or so, and even Oscar talked about this, the difference between a good team and a great team in MLS is different difference makers. It's having those guys that can take their game to the next level and do something special. And Paxton is showing that he has those qualities. Now, again, really early, three games, three starts into his career, but he has a willingness to go at people. He has a willingness to attempt quality passes. He has a willingness to make things happen. That's super exciting if you're a fan because those are the kinds of guys who can arise to the occasion when it really matters, we hope. I mean, we'll see when he gets there. But, you know, all the signs are there that he's going to be the difference maker for this team and a team that right now really needs a difference maker because no one else is doing it. Yeah, and that's really the point of concern, which is you then turn and look at all of these uh, players that are at least uh, in theory more experienced, although they're not much older than Paxt is when you really uh, look at the age difference. But Brian Acosta, Santiago Mascara, uh, Baji, 
Um, those guys aren't. I mean, I just the the dearth of actually having the wherewithal to get a ball and go at people is is nowhere to be found on the team outside of packs. And then on the on the occasion that he actually gets in the right position where he'll do it, Barrios. And other than those two guys, I'm just really surprised we're not seeing more of that from people like Acosta and specifically Mascara, who just seems almost scared to do it anymore. Well, Acosta, I think. Um just needs a little more time. I think he has the ability in his game, certainly to shoot from outside the box. He's probably the best distance shooter the team has, but I think he has the ability to make some more of those aggressive passes. But if if there's nobody in the right place for him to make that pass, it is hard for him. But yes, you are correct that he does need to be better at that. And the deal with Mascara is, uh, is a little hard to put your finger on, but he definitely is not playing the way he was playing in the spring when he was a big difference maker. Um, Lucci talked a little bit this week to me about that idea. They do want him to come inside like he's doing because it is his best nature, uh, his best native skill, that ability to come inside and fill that little hole and make a nice attacking move. Um, but he's, he's too one dimensional with it. You know, he's not, he's, he's not getting the result because he's doing it every time. So what they're working with him on is if if he makes that move and the ball doesn't come to him, he needs them to spin off and make different runs in behind the outside back or in behind the center back uh, to to put himself in a dangerous position that, where he might get the ball as a second opportunity. So uh, you know he knows he now knows that he needs to make those alternative runs and get behind the defense some, and I, hopefully you'll see that translate in the next game or two since they've been working on it with him the last week or so. Yeah, Mascaro's game seems to be built around a pass-and-move mentality uh, that seems to work in little fits and starts, uh, but it hasn't been consistent. Barrios obviously likes to just get the ball with space in front of him and go at defenders, um, and, 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 that's the, and it's those kind of different components that just don't seem to have uh, gelled yet in the attack for the team. Um, and, and, you know, obviously I think a little, uh, after three games, I'm sure Lucci is, uh, frustrated by it, but, uh, to your point, I think you're right. It's, it's so early in the season. There's lots to, lots to be worked on. The other really highlights of the, of the team so far, uh, Carlos Grezo has been fantastic this season. And I think making us all feel really proud of the fact that we all thought, you know what, that if there's a guy that can play holding mid by himself, it's Carlos. And he certainly has uh, proved that out so far after the first three games oh he's been phenomenal you know this is the best form he's had since he's been here uh in dallas which is not to say he's been bad when he's been dallas he's been good you know it's just that this performance now is so much higher than it was before it's almost like not having a player next to him has freed him up in a way and opened him up to the idea that i got to do the whole thing and he has stepped up and he's doing the whole thing he's passing an extraordinary high percentage He's having a, a magnificent high level of touches. He's playing defensive, uh, great defensive ball. He had 12 recoveries last, last game, which was like 10 more than anybody else. It's ridiculous. So the guy's just playing phenomenal ball, and, it, and it's not a coincidence that he's back in the Ecuador side the way he's playing. Uh, defensively, the team obviously struggled a little bit, which is understandable considering they had to make essentially uh, two full-on changes at both fullback positions with Reggie Cannon's injury. Uh, Hollingshead did not have a very good game. Uh, you know, I, I think I said to you uh, on text or something, uh, when Steve Davis is repeatedly calling you out <laughs> for bad play on the broadcast, you're, you're probably yeah. not having a good game because uh, Steve, if anything, is always very kind and very uh, 
conservative in his crit- criticism of the players, um, uh, and, and very fairly so. Uh, and so I, I think uh, Ryan didn't have a great game. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, I still feel like this is the, the, the true strength of the team is the overall defensive play uh, that we've seen so far. Yeah, th- this team has carried over from last year with its defensive quality. Um, you know, I think Hollingshead might have been a little out of sorts because he honestly is not used to playing on the right because he had like four or five times where he just ran over the ball and, and lost it. Uh, he, he definitely is passing at a slightly less percentage, you know, five to ten percent less than everybody else. Maybe he's just perhaps being more aggressive. Um, but, you know, Hedges and Ziegler are, are in fantastic form. You know, the, Hedges looks like he's really brought up his ball work, his on-the-ball passing and his foot skill up to a level where Ziegler is, who historically has been the best passer in the back. Obviously, Pedroso getting back to full fitness and back to his late season last year form will be important. I don't think there's any question that over the back half of last season, he was a better player than Ryan Hollingshead. Um, right now, Ryan, Song, Ryan Hollingshead's the better player. So it's a no-brainer um, that he'll be in there if uh, if he's healthy. So the defensive consistency is good. Jesse's shot-stopping is really good. Jesse's passing out of the back is much, much better than last year. Obviously, it's still a little bit of a weak spot for him, but he's been doing it like an 80% clip even once or twice against pressing teams. So, um, you know, so far so good on the defense. All right, so let's get back to the attack because the one player we haven't really talked about uh, this week, although we've talked about him quite a bit in the weeks prior, is Dominic Baji, who uh, didn't have a really outstanding showing. And, and you and I have gone back and forth over how much of that is Dominic's fault and how much of that is just kind of a byproduct of uh, the sputtering offense. Yeah, I think there's no question that, you know, the, the times where the ball has gotten into him, he's muffed it a couple of times. He did not have a great game last game you know some of that is on him in the sense that he needs to make better runs and higher more aggressive runs play more like uh, fernando adi and less like mosquera you know you're not mosquera be a high striker but at the same time you know if, if the ball's not getting into him and he's only got 26 27 touches that's just not nearly enough you know he's a guy that needs basically over the course of his career he's needed seven shots to score that's more than say joseph martinez but joseph martinez is a is perhaps the best striker we've ever seen in this league. Seven shots per goal is on par with other guys we've had in Dallas who have been in the five, six, seven range. So if a guy needs seven shots, he's got to get the ball more than 27 times to score, or he's not going to score. They've got to get the ball into him in the box in good positions, or he's just, it's just not going to happen. So, uh, you know, I think the other kind of talking point that came out of the game were some of the substitutions late, uh, Jesus Ferreira's introduction, and then lots of people were caught by how much the team seemed to change when Arangi stepped on the field. Part of me wonders if that's a byproduct of trying to uh, recover from the fact that you're down to nothing, or um, is that really a byproduct of that they just play better attacking-wise with Arangis? Do you have a sense of which it is? Well, I, it's certainly both. You know, I, at that point, Columbus is playing more conservative. But when you take off a guy who's an eight, uh, a pure eight, and Brian Acosta, and you bring on a guy that's a pure ten, you're going to be better on the offensive end. You know, Arangis had more crosses than the rest of the game combined from the entire team. But again, as we often talk about with Rangis, it's like no result came of it. You got to get the connection in the final third. It's not just crossing the final third. It's got to be to somebody. But it's not. It's not a. It's a. It's an obvious uh, change when 
you pull a guy and you end up with essentially Paxton, who's almost a hybrid 810, and then another 10. That's a really, really free, aggressive attacking offense. So it's not surprising that it took off when he came in. Well, after three weeks, the team is uh, perfectly even, 1-1-1, one, one, and one, and they go into this weekend another Saturday afternoon uh, game. This one also back at Toyota Stadium, meaning I don't get to go again because we're doing the show. Um, as uh, Colorado, the Rapids come to town, Tim Howard and, of course, the return of Kellen Acosta, who, uh, in his own weird drama, is not actually currently with the U.S. men's national team. He's stuck with his club team, uh, the Rapids, who are having an interesting season themselves so far. Uh, I'm going to guess, because Dallas is missing so many players, and we can list those off, uh, we are in for a bit of a treat when it comes to you know, all of those fans who are super itchy to see a homegrown Laden starting eleven. Yeah, uh, Grezzo and um, Acosta are both with their national teams, which really opens up the midfield. And it could have been a lot worse because Paxton, Pomacall, and Brandon Savania both could have been with the U-20s and are not. Um, and Jesse Gonzalez is also gone, but that's an easy switch. Jimmy Maurer will be in. So midfield is now wide open. And in training this week, the obvious answer is Paxton Pomacall at this point is a lock starter. The way he's played the last two games, he's starting. So the other two positions are pretty much up for grabs. We saw uh, four different players get rotations in those positions. If I had to guess, uh, based on what I saw, based on impact over the last couple of games... Well, wait a sec. Before you guess, oh, let, let me far? ask the question. Am I? Are we going to get the holy trinity of FC Dallas homegrowns with Cirillo, uh, Cervania, and Pomical? Because I think that would just be uh, mind-blowing to see on a starting 11 sheet. Uh, I think that's possible, but I don't think so. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I I feel fairly confident, actually, that Cirillo will be in there. He seems to be ahead of Cervania on the death chart, um, both in his playing time and sort of in the rotations that I've seen. Does that surprise you at all to see Cirillo have jumped Cervania a little bit? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't because I'm really high on this kid. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think his upside is massive. I think he's. I think he was one of the the most ready players to come out of the academy in, in a couple of years, um, and Cervania once he banged his knee, you know, right at the end of spring training, that kind of dropped him down a little bit. And Cervania, excuse me, Cirillo has done really well with his opportunities. Now it does surprise me in the sense that Cervania is coming off a Concacaf Championship best eleven performance as a six, so I would have assumed coming into the season that if. Grezzo was going to be out. Cirillo would be not Cirillo. Excuse me. I got to get these games names right. Cervania would be in there as the automatic choice to replace him, but it doesn't look like that's the case. It looks like it's going to be Cirillo based on a couple of different things. Uh, the real interesting thing is that uh, there's a pretty good chance. And I think this is what's going to happen. I think Pablo Aranquiz is going to start. And I say that based on the impact he's had coming off the bench the last couple games and the way he's been playing in training. Now, when I saw it this week uh, with him in the midfield, this is actually the first time I've seen him in midfield since really, really early in spring training. It was like it went so bad the first time that I haven't seen it since. But this week, they did several rotations with Arangis playing as like a pure 10 with two guys behind him. So the, ro the triangle in the midfield rotates a little bit, and you end up with a 6 and an 8, or maybe you want to call them two eights or whatever you want to call them, two six eight hybrids. I think it's going to be Pomacall, and I think it's going to be Cirillo both behind Orangis, which kind of makes it a 4-2-3-1 in a sense. 
Interesting. Well, I think a lot of people would be delighted to see the return of Arangis, and um, and especially after you know uh, the perception that he really helped uh, affect the game uh, last week. So maybe that wouldn't be a surprise. Although the Holy Trinity would be way cooler. It, um, that would be fun to see. And I think there's there's still a shot that it might be Cervania. I just you know, reading between the lines of some stuff Lucci said and basically like some of the rotations I saw, I think Cervania's on the bench as a um, backup who can play a couple, two, can play all three of those spots if, if it's necessary. And since you're talking about a team that has needed some offensive punch, Arangi's is offensive punch, right? I mean, this is the game, right? This is the, the his chance to stamp himself on this team a little bit and make, make a case that he should be playing. So hopefully for his sake, it goes well. Uh, and since we talked about it earlier, how much longer uh, of a rope do you think Lucci gives uh, Baji, uh, and at starting at the at the top of the uh, of the attack? Well, I I would have said probably four or five games, but uh, I'm starting to think that maybe the rope is up. I'm starting to think maybe that this might be the game you see Jesus Ferreira get a shot to start. Um, you know, there, there was some definite rotations and definitely some competition happening in training this week where different guys at forward at the number nine spot were getting opportunities based on his play off the bench, based on the fact you're playing a Colorado team that's let in six goals in, in three games, you know, not a super great team. You're playing some young guys anyway, so maybe this is your chance to, to do some good things. And he, he is a guy that works well in – in combo with with other players who likes to play a little one twos, you know, he is a guy who has taken those chances as a goal poacher and gotten in the box and and knocked those goals in, uh, mostly in training and mostly for the North Texas side so far. But um, I just I just have a gut feeling that maybe the the, the rope's going to get pulled and and when you're looking to elevate your team offensively and it's been stagnant for three games. You know, why not do it when you're already playing some other young guys? Why not get all bunch of young guys in there and see if they can feed off each other? And how do you feel? How how did it uh, transpire that Pax and Cervania did not end up getting called up? Well, I asked Ramos. I asked, excuse me, Luchi Gonzalez about that, and he said that he talks to Ramos uh, quite often, and they they have an open conversation about those three guys in particular. And essentially, the conversation w- is that each each one of them is a case by case basis. And when it comes to the World Cup itself, they will support any call-up that Ramos wants to make, even if it means losing a starter like Paxton. They'll, for the World Cup, that's different. But when they were talking about you know, a, a late, you know, last-second camp of maybe looking at a couple of fringe guys, they kind of, between the two of them, discussed it a little bit and decided that Paxton starting is better for him to be in MLS and starting than it would be to go to a camp and play a couple of you know, friendlies. Um, Ferreira, who's been in consideration, I don't know where he is with his citizenship, so it may be with him as much as a question of he, he he's not eligible yet as anything, so they may not be looking at him quite as much. But uh, Savini was the one that was probably the most sort of 50-50, like should we let him go or let him not go? And basically when they lost both Grezzo and, and um, uh, Acosta, it's like the opportunity for Savini to either play or to be on the bench and perhaps come into a game was just, or even in training, just being one of the main guys in training all week, that opportunity was too big to let him go to the U-20 team at this stage. Uh, and then jumping back up top, because I know people are still asking the question, uh, what is the status of uh, Andresnik, the Cobra? Is he Did he play with North Texas last week? Is he playing at all? Is this an injury situation? Is there any clarity what's going on with this guy? 
Well, North Texas didn't have an, a, an official scrimmage that I was aware of. You know, sometimes they have some against their academies that, you know, we don't know about. But he's training full time with the first team. He's not doing any kind of injury rehab type work that I've seen. You know, you can make the case, I guess, that coming off of uh, what we think is an Achilles injury, that maybe he's still recovering. But I, I honestly just – I don't mean to pile on the guy. I just don't think that he's good enough. You know, he doesn't have a burst that can run by somebody. He, he's, he's quick enough over like five yards or so, but he's not going to run past people like a Barrios or a Baji does. His feet aren't good enough that he's going to play like these little ping, ping, one, two passes or anything. So I just, I just don't think for me right now, and maybe with some more recovery, he'll be better. But right now he's just not good enough. He's not beating out Jesus Ferreira in training. He's not beating out Don Baji in training. Yeah. I read if a, you're not doing that. You're not going to play. Yeah. I read a, uh, in one of your, uh, uh, posts earlier this week, you had a quote from Lucci about a Drosnik that uh, I I felt like that if we dug if we went back and dug through the uh, files I'm 99% sure we could find almost a word for word quote from Oscar Perea uh, about Christian Coleman that would match that thing up almost perfectly. Yeah, the one about how his attitude is fantastic and he works really hard and how they're going to support him 100% and all that kind of stuff. It is the same situation basically. It's like the guy is a tremendous asset in the locker room. He's a great teammate. Everybody likes him. You know, he works his tail off. There's no question about that. But it's like, in the end, you got to get somebody on the field who's going to score. And it's like, <laughs> if you don't feel like he's going to do that, it's like he's not going to play. Well, now they've got two number nines that are super awesome in the locker room. Neither one of them uh, can score worth a damn. All right, kick ass. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, let's talk, since we are talking injuries, what is the status of Reggie Cannon, Ja'Cory Hayes, uh, anybody, else, you know, anybody else that we need to worry about in terms of injury? Sure. Well, Reggie is back and he's trained uh, most of this week as far as I know and for sure the days I was there he went the whole session absolutely fine no problem he's good to go I mean they said last week that they could have forced it and he could have played but it wasn't worth the risk um, Ja'Cory Hayes is back outside doing like extensive hard running rehab so he's really close to being cleared but he was not cleared on Wednesday and um, based on something Lucci said that means that he's not eligible at least in Lucci's mind to play now it may be that officially Hayes may be cleared to play but Lucci was sort of saying if you're not there on Wednesday going through the full training on Wednesday then you're not uh, in his head available for the roster on the weekend so that's probably what we would call an unofficial rule and maybe there are, are guys that that wouldn't apply to but in a case like Jacory Hayes it's like if you weren't there on Wednesday I can't use you on Saturday so regardless of what his official status is don't look for Jacory Hayes on Saturday um, Ryan Hollingshead uh, took, stepped out of training a little early on Wednesday, but um, Lucci says that it's just quote unquote tightness and it's not something they're concerned about. It's just something that he's working through and it's like occasionally he just steps out of training. The new injury was Bresson, who basically did the same thing, stepped out of training and pointed at his hamstring. Now, he wasn't like limping or grasping it or writhing in pain or anything. And I've not heard any official report from the team since then. So um, that may be one of those, again, one of those just like I got a little tightness. I'm going to stop today because it's, you know, if you've ever played, you know the difference between, oops, my leg's a little tight and, oh, it actually hurts. You know, it's a little thing that sometimes you just go through. And if you just let, uh, take it easy for a day or two, then you'll be fine. So um, no official word on him yet, but he wasn't going to start anyway. The biggest impact that will have would be uh, who's on the who travels and who's on the bench 
and you know, and that'll tell us a little more about whether that's an actual real in- injury or not. Um, not that he would have traveled, but Emma Tuomasi appears to be hurt more than we thought. He actually had an MRI on his back, and they've got him on some sort of rehab regimen. And then, of course, Coleman and Francis Atuahene are out long-term and will be out long-term. And I think that's pretty much – oh, Callum Montgomery is back from his high ankle sprain, uh, and he's basically cemented himself as these, uh, the other second-choice center back along with um, Bresson. Okay. Colorado comes to town with Kellen Acosta uh, with a winless season. They have drawn two games at home against Portland. Then they uh, went to Seattle and got pounded by the Sounders 2-0. But they got an impressive, um, you know, against a a pretty solid and highly thought of Kansas City team, 1-1 draw in Denver last week. Uh, You know, they've been kind of goofing around with different formations. Um, they, you know, they played Kellen out on the left in a four, four, two, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It looks like, um, anything in particular about Colorado, uh, that frightens you or looks as a, a really good opportunity for Dallas to take advantage of. Well, they do, they do play, uh, I think a four, four, two. And certainly that's probably what Dallas will be expecting them to play. I don't think they're a great road team, but, um, you know, it, this is a chance when when you're at home, any home game, it was a chance to put on a good performance and, and bring out your best team. But when you have a bunch of young guys, you know, going up against an opponent early in the season that may not be one of the better teams in the league, this is a chance to get some good things going and get some good, young, exciting players in, in an attacking sort of mode. So um, it'll be fun to see it happen. I mean, the, the, the midfields are going to know each other. Well, at least Callum will. You know, you're going to see – two or three young guys going up against a, a dude that was basically their homegrown mentor, you know, in the other, in the other, uh, team. Now, whether he plays in the middle or not is a good question, but, um, you know, that, that car team for me is a very sort of basic direct, simple four, four, two kind of team. Uh, you know, it's just about like a 20 year old formation that really nobody people hardly uses anymore, but, um, It'll be fun to see how it works. It'll be fun to see Dallas trying to attack that with their flexible 4-3-3 formation. Well, and theoretically with a lot of uh, young players on the field at the same time, you know, you, I, I keep asking the question, when are we going to see Thomas Roberts? But if we ever are going to see Thomas Roberts, this may be the weekend we get a few minutes out of the kid. Yeah, I'm expecting him to be on the bench, um, you know, and I would expect this would be a game where he would have a chance to come in. on in. Um, Obviously, that's going to depend a lot on uh, on how – the game's going, but, um, you know, th- this is a chance for him. I-, I don't think he's in the mix to start, certainly, but um, Thomas's Roberts, Thomas Roberts, his biggest uh, weakness right now is, um, what should I call this? I should, say, uh, I should say wisdom about the game. Like, recognize the moment that you're in in the sense of, like, feel the pressure coming and know where you are on the field, you know, and maybe, like, where I am on the field is now a good time to play simple, and just keep possession and go back to my defense rather than trying to make a great move or a great pass, you know, some sort of awareness of the flow of the game and, and, and not making a mistake in a bad area. Cause young kids do make mistakes. You know, you can't blame me for trying to push the ball and be aggressive. It's just when to do it and when not to do it is probably what he's still learning at this point. All right. So Dallas and Colorado four thirty this weekend. I think the game is on Unimos. Am I correct? I think it's a national game. That sounds right. I, I'm ninety nine percent sure that's correct. Uh, that's at four thirty at uh, Toyota Stadium. This is also the weekend that Landon Donovan rolls into town with the San Diego Soccers uh, and plays against the Sidekicks and Allen. And that game's on Sunday, correct? It, it is on Sunday. And there's also a North Texas game after the FC Dallas game. So. 
Uh, is that an, is that an official soccer. is that an official game game? Is that their first official game of the year? No, it's their last scrimmage against SMU. This is their last tune-up game where hopefully you'll see as close to whatever they're going to play opening day as possible. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you uh, did a little goofy teaser uh, entertainment thing about trying to guess what the North Texas kits would look like. Uh, when will we see those uh, unveiled? Well, I, uh, there was a chance it was going to be this week, I think, but uh, almost certainly it'll be uh, next week. I mean, they're, they're playing the week after the next weekend, so you'd think it would be next week. Uh, I do know that there's not going to be like a big event. They're just going to release it online, but uh, you know how we are about kits around here, so it's going to be fun to see that actually come out. There'll be two of them, you know, at a primary in a way. It'll be exciting, and, and given the fact that all four people that contributed to our little fun project – came up with the same core slash concept from their logo. I really hope they do that or we're all going to look silly. Well, uh, I'm still miffed at you because I submitted my uh, my prediction and you rejected it because you thought it was a joke. Well, it is a joke. <laughs> I mean, I think your country western shirt is funny, and I thought it was funny when we did it in the first time for when we were doing the joke jerseys, but uh, in this case, I wanted to be a little more serious. Well, for the USL team, I meant it very seriously and honestly, and it's not my western wear uh, jersey. It's actually uh, Mike Miller's, but um, I support him in his drawing, and I think that would have made for a kick-ass uh, home jersey uh, for <laughs> North Texas Soccer Club. Um, by the way, uh, for people who are listening to the podcast that may be newer fans or younger generations or, you know, never got to spend any time uh, back in the original version of FC Dallas, which was the Dallas Burn that played in the Cotton Bowl and then for that one god-awful year at Southlake, um, Buzz, uh, kudos to you today. You put together a post uh, over at thirddegree.net and the Dallas Morning News that kind of just went back in uh, as a primer um, of the original starting 11 for the 1996 original Dallas Burn team. And man, that was fun to read uh, and going back and reading those names. And I just can't encourage people enough that if you haven't taken the time to learn your history about this club, uh, one, Buzz is a great resource for it, but two, there are some fantastic stories and things to learn. Uh, if you really are willing to take the time, go read uh, Buzz's post about the 1996 starting 11 and the fantastic 3-5-2 formation. <laughs> that was actually an interesting thing I learned uh, about that season was that um, as much as Dave Durr loved the 3-5-2, that season they ended up having to bail on it probably through the season and go with a 4-4-2 because they lost Tom Sowen before the season started, uh, who was a key part of their defensive plan. And when they lost him, they tried to adapt in the 3-5-2 and it wasn't really working. So probably through the season they jettisoned that and went 4-4-2. And it ended up with some people playing in some weird spots. I mean, Mark Santel, of all people, played a lot of center back that year, which is crazy. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was fun to dig into that lineup and dig into all the – the lists of players from uh, that season and try and figure out where everybody was playing and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, hopefully if that piece gets some traction, maybe we'll do that for some other seasons. Yeah, out of that group, there is a national team coach, a Colombian uh, club league coach, a uh, beekeeper, and a U.S. federal magistrate judge. Yeah, just to name a few. <laughs> it's just the craziest lineup for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, from the commerce end of things, uh, Buzz, you are selling third degree t-shirts. Uh, you've got a nice selection uh, to go from for there, so go get your third degree t-shirts. And, um, and and Buzz is actually making money off those. If you want a Huntsman t-shirt, all the proceeds go to the FC Dallas uh, Foundation, and there's another link for those, and we constantly tweet those on the Twitter. So uh, go get yourself some F uh, third degree and Huntsman t-shirts. 
t-shirts. Buzz, thank you for all your knowledge and your work. Uh, we'll see what happens this week with FC Dallas, and we can even come back and talk about the results of the, the two U.S. men's national team games, which will feature at least one, if not more, of a couple of Dallas kids in there over the course of those two games. Yeah, whichever the way this FC Dallas game goes, it'll be fun to talk about because there's going to be so many homegrown kids on the field for this one. For sure. Okay, thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you next time on Third Degree, the podcast.